Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We start a new series this morning. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be a little different for us, but it's a, a, a nice curveball after what we just came out of with, with uh, uh, the series we just left. And so today we're starting a series called Enough. Enough. It's a series about what we have, what we need what we want, and who we are. And to, to start our conversation this morning, I want to um, imagine with you that you are shopping. And you're at the store. You are shopping the after Christmas sales. And um, you have come across a, a coat rack. And on that coat rack above it, there's a sign that says 75% off. And you're shuffling through there and you come across a coat and you start looking at it, you think, well, I, I kind of like the way that looks and um, that's, you know, that's in my size and my goodness, that coat was $300 and it's 75% off. So now a coat that was $300 becomes a coat that's $75 and wow, that, that, I, I like that. So you take it a step further than that and you think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that on. I like the color. Boy. Nice, now you're looking for a mirror. Let me find a mirror and see what I think if I get this coat on. You put that coat on, you find the mirror. And you say, dang, I look good. I gotta have that coat. So now you, you're really curious. You really wanna make sure, right, that the coat is actually 75% off. You don't wanna be taking a $300 coat to the counter and find out it's really not on sale, that it, it, it is actual price. So one of the things that they've got in stores now that I love are these little poles that have the scanner right on the pole. You don't have to talk to a person. I know that sounds incredibly unchristian. I don't mean it to sound that way. But I just like to do it myself, right? And you can take it, you can take your little tag and you can walk up and scan that thing yourself. And so you scan it, not only is it $300, 75% off, which makes the coat $75. Now, this scanner's telling you it's actually $60, which is an additional 20% off the coat. And you're like, well, I got to get the coat now. Right? I mean, how do you pass up that deal? It's, it's, it's a steal at that price. Right? You like my new jean jacket, by the way? You know how I got it? Dee Dee had no idea what I was preaching this morning. She comes in two days ago and she said, Brett, I was at the store and I saw this and it was a price I couldn't pass up. And we need to update your look anyway, so you're wearing that. It's like, all right. But we got some questions we got to answer about this coat. First of all, will I wear it? Will I wear it? Or is it just going to become another coat in my coat museum where there's five or six other coats that I very seldom wear. There's one kind of go-to coat. It's my favorite. It's the most comfortable. It's got the most pockets. It's, it zips the best. It looks the best on me. It's the one that makes me feel cool, and it's the one that makes me feel warm all at the same time. And all the rest of my coats are just, I don't know why I bought them. They're, they're in the coat museum. So is this coat going to be something that I wear 
Or is it going to be another coat in the coat museum? That's question one. Question two, can I afford this coat? Do I have the $60 in my pocket to be able to go, yeah, I can afford to buy that? Or am I going to whip out another piece of plastic and lay it down, and I'm happy I got it today, but 30 days from now when the bill comes due, I'm not going to be happy about it anymore, and I'm going to ask myself the question, why did I buy that coat? I never wear it. Tags are still on it. Why did I get that coat? So will I wear it? Can I afford it? Question three is probably the most important of the three questions. What are you doing there? What are you doing at an after Christmas sale shopping in the coat section? Do you, I mean, maybe it could be that you actually, you set out, you thought, you know what, I need a new coat. They're probably going to be clearanced after Christmas. Now would be a great time for me to go find a, a coat that, that will work for me. And you, you know, that's part of the plan. And you show up and there's the coat. Oh, wow, awesome. You know, mission accomplished, great deal, got the coat. But if you're bored or lonely or depressed and you've just gone shopping to try to salve that somehow and to make yourself feel better or to pass the time or if spending money is somehow going to alleviate in you this, this depression or this loneliness or this boredom that you've got, then... What are you doing there? See, on the surface, we don't really know. Here's the question I would ask you. How many of you think the coat is a great purchase? How many of you say it's not a great purchase? How many of you are going, I'm not raising my hand because he's leading us to a trap. I'm, there's no way. I'm raising, that's right. Yeah, 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 you got me. See, if you got the money, you're going to wear the coat, you need a new coat, you can't not pass up that coat, right? I mean, that's a great deal for the person who needs it. But if you don't need a new coat, and you're going to use plastic to buy it, and you're bored, lonely, and depressed as you're doing it, it's a terrible decision to buy the coat. It's time for us to think about what we have, what we need, and what we want. And it's time for us to think about who we are in Jesus. The driving question behind this series enough is what does it mean to live a contented, satisfied life as a follower of Jesus? Jesus talked a lot about our connection with our stuff. He said things like, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said things like, you can't serve two masters. He, he you know, embellished that a little bit more and he, 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 he said you can't serve both God and money they're both going to make demands on you and you're not equipped to be able to meet all of those demands you got to pick one or the other but you can't serve them both and then in Luke he said that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions Jesus had an awful lot to say about our stuff Jen Hatmaker wrote a book called Seven and in that book, she, she talks about an experiment that she did in her life where she gave away seven items a day for 30 days. And so, you know, if you do the quick math on that, what you realize is that's 210 items. She went through her house, she went through her stuff, and she decided, I'm going to give away seven items a day for 30 days, at the end of which she has given away 
210 items. Now, I'm just going to ask you a question. How does that hit you? Some of you are purgers, right? You hear me say that she gave away seven items, in 30 day, seven items a day for 30 days. You're like 210 items. And you're like, Tuh. child's play, Brett. That ain't nothing for me. That doesn't confront me. I can give away 210 things in a day. Doesn't, that, that doesn't take much. Watch me clean out a garage. Watch me go through my husband's sock drawer. Others of you hear me say that a woman gave away seven items a day for 30 days, totaling 210 things, and it knocks the wind out of you. And you're thinking to yourself, there's no way. I, I mean, I just, you know, truth be told, there's probably somebody in my family that's got, their, got the, the television show Hoarders on speed dial just waiting for me to, you know, step over the line because that's how bad I am. I just accumulate a bunch of stuff. Now, I'm not really talking about generosity here. Generosity is when you give something of value, okay? Like it's, 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 it's cost you something. It's valuable and you're, out of the goodness of your heart, you're sharing with someone else. And, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm really more just talking about a, a cleansing of things that have just accumulated over time. So if you like coming to church and getting challenged, then here's one to try. I'm not, this is, I don't, I, I'm not going to do this, but you might want to try to do this. You might want to try to give away seven items a day every day for 30 days and see if you can give away 210 items in a day. That might be, a, a, you might leave here and go, man, Brett gave me something that I can really sink my teeth into. I'm going to try to do that. One attitude that you might take over the next several weeks as we uh, consider this series is, you know, if I haven't touched it or used it or worn it, or played with it, or whatever, in a couple of years, or three years, then clearly I am not the right owner of this object, and I need to find whoever the right owner is, because it's really, it shouldn't be me. It's so easy for us to accumulate things, isn't it? Like shoes? I mean, how many pair of shoes do we need? Let me ask you this, men, how many, how many, running shoes have you gone through and you don't throw them away you just wear them to mow the grass but you got like five pair that you mow the grass in right just can't bring yourself to throw them away i'm already seeing women nudge their husbands this is awesome t-shirts how many colored t-shirts do we need they just follow us home we go to events and somehow we come home with t-shirts right they, they just stack up it's like crazy i used to actually own a screen printing company where I printed t-shirts and I, I just I was overrun with t-shirts I would print them and I like man that's cool I want one of those for me and then a hundred t-shirts later you're like no not so much see here's the thing I think that if we were to try to get rid of the stuff that we no longer need or use and to try to find the rightful owner what we are going to discover is that more is not more less is more that's what I think Here's a way to look at your stuff. If a burglar broke into your house and stole it from you, if you don't miss it for a six months to a year, did you really need it? 
Or, did it, or maybe would that be something that you would say to the burglar, you know what, if it helps you out, brother, go ahead. You know, like, I, I, you know. So to kick us off this morning, I want to give us a couple of projects this week. And, you know, just for you to try, these are easy, uh, way easier than giving away seven items a day for 30 days. Project number one, I want you to go into your closet. I want you to count all your shoes, all of them, all your flip-flops, all your water moccasins, all your dress shoes, all your running shoes, all your tennis shoes, all your pickleball shoes, all your basketball shoes. Right? If you slip them on your feet, your slippers, anything you would put on your feet and call them shoes, I want you to go home and just count them. Count them. Okay, so that's project one. Along with that, I want you to go into your closet, into your drawers, anywhere else that you've, because they just, you know, it's just kind of like they just multiply. I want you to count all your shirts. Count all your t-shirts, all your under t-shirts, count all your dress shirts, all your running shirts. All your ISU, IU, Purdue, fill in the blank. Count them. So you're going to count your shoes, you're going to count your shirts. That's project number one. Project number two is I want you to identify something in your home that is of value, but it's not something that you use anymore. It's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe something like a guitar. Maybe a, an appliance that you, you bought it, you thought you would use it, it still works perfectly well, it's just not, doesn't suit your needs. Um, you know, one of the kids' bikes, the kids have grown up and moved out of the house, but the bikes are still there and they're still in good working order. And, you know, find something that, that is of some value, but clearly is of not as much value to you as it used to be because you're not using it, and try to find somebody else that you would call the rightful owner and give that to them. Two projects, count your shoes and your shirts and find something of value and give it away. So those are the two projects for you to think about this week. So I, I want you to think about this statement and see if, if this is true of you. I seem to never be able to get enough of what I don't need. Is that true or false of you? If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's kind of toward the end of your New Testament. Um, Timothy is a, a letter that is written from Paul to young Timothy, and Timothy was a, a young pastor. Uh, he's pastoring this church at Ephesus. It's a church that Paul started, and he spent some time trying to get it started, you know, and then he, he kind of turned it over to Timothy, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but in chapter 6, verse 6 of 1 Timothy, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. He's, he's coaching him. He's, he's trying to mentor this young pastor. And he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So you have to, th this isn't just like a book of the Bible. You're reading somebody's mail, okay? This was a letter that was addressed to Timothy. Paul's trying to help him out. Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So I'm going to give you three motivations this morning. The very first motivation is this, a sobering reality. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. Timothy, I want you to roll back. I want you to remember that you came into this world a baby, naked. You didn't have anything. One of these days they're going to carry you out. You're not going to have anything. Timothy, look at the beginning. 
look at the end, you come in with nothing, you go out with nothing. Sobering reality. Alice enters the world at eight pounds, one ounces. One, one ounces, one ounce. Eight pounds, one ounce. The nurse takes her over and washes her off and puts a little diaper on her and puts a little nightgown on her and a little hat on her head and bundles her up in swaddling cloths and lays her down in a little plastic basket and they wheel her off where she will join mother and father in the hospital room and all the families there excited about this new addition and everybody gathers around this little plastic box to see this newborn Alice and to rejoice and everybody's happy. And 10 months later comes Christmas, baby's first Christmas. And boy, don't grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles have a field day with that. And they load this little girl up, 10 months old, with all this stuff. And she is overwhelmed with clothes and toys and all these things. And little Alice is probably more concerned about the box that the toys came in than the actual toy. But thus begins a lifetime of accumulation for Alice. Fast forward, Alice is now 18 years old and she's getting ready to go off to college and she's there with her parents. They've loaded up her car and basically she's got, you know, what she's got in her bedroom. She's got some, some bed clothes, she's got her regular clothes, she's got some cosmetics and some toiletries, a stereo, some sports equipment, um, you know, all of her shoes and heels and all that kind of stuff. And just enough she can get it in the car and, and she's going to go and start her life at the university. And in between her junior and senior year, she decides to move in with a couple of her friends. They're going to get an apartment together, and now she's going to move again. See, the first move she made would be the, that would be the least amount of stuff she will ever have. That'll be the easiest move she ever makes in her life. Now, it's not for the parents, I know, but for the daughter, it's an easy move to leave the house and go to college. It's exciting, everything's great, but you don't have a lot. Now she's moving in with some friends into an apartment. She's gone out, found an old beat-up couch that she really wants to get. She's found an old dining room table. She's going to move in some, you know, this lamp that she really thinks is cool. But it's going to take a pickup truck now to move her. Fast forward the tape. Now she's been married 10 years. They have two kids. And now the move is going to require a moving van and not a small moving van. And as they stand there and they watch people walk into their house, grab stuff, walk out of their house, through the garage, out down the driveway, put it on the truck, they stand there watching these men working like ants, and they look at each other and they say, where did we get all this stuff? They're watching bikes walk out, they're watching clothes go out, they're watching appliances and stereos, there goes a gas grill, there goes a rake, there goes a, you know, a hoe. Where do we get all this stuff? Years pass. The children leave. Decades pass and they decide to sell the house and downsize and get a condo with fewer things and fewer rooms. One level so they don't have to navigate stairs. I just went through this with my parents. They, 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 they try to give stuff to us. We don't want their old stuff. We got our own stuff now. 
So what you can, you put into a yard sale. What doesn't sell at the yard sale, now what do you do with it? You're stuck with it. And so if it's anything like what happened to us, I watched us throw away some things that probably had some value to them just because we had to get rid of it. We, could, we didn't have enough time to find somebody to give it to, so you just kind of toss it. And they move into the condo, and after a few years, the husband passes away, and then one of the daughters has to have the conversation, the delicate conversation with mom. Mom, maybe it's time to let the condo go. Maybe it's time for us to downsize this a little bit. And maybe it's time for us, have you ever thought about living in a retirement home? And now the home she's going to move into is a little bit bigger than the dormitory she started out in. And it's about as basic. And there's a desk, and there's a chair, and there's a bookshelf with a couple of well-worn and much-loved and often-read volumes on it that mean a lot to her. There's a TV there for her. Little table and kitchen area. And the day comes when Alice passes. And her children and her grandchildren and her nieces and nephews gather around another box now to say goodbye. Life begins in a small plastic box with our first outfit and it ends in a much bigger box, much more expensive box with a little more expensive outfit on. And Paul's statement to Timothy is this, Timothy, we enter the world with nothing and we leave with nothing. And the question before us this morning is, how much stuff do we have to accumulate before we feel like we are whole? How much stuff do we have to accumulate before we feel like we're somebody? I have enough. With this starting point and ending point in mind, with these two boxes in mind, the question is, how much do we need? I think I can speak for all of us when I say, isn't it amazing how quickly we can accumulate things? It is insane how quickly we can accumulate and Paul says something difficult and a little unnerving. He says, Timothy, we've got to recognize something that most people forget. We enter the world with nothing, we leave with nothing, and this is the motivation to pursue a contented life. Motivation number two is what we will call a bold claim. And the bold claim we find in verse 8, Paul says, but if we have, and he mentions two things here, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Okay, Paul, so a bologna sandwich and a coat. That's all I need. Paul would say that's all you need. And we hear that and we're really tempted to say, Paul, I don't know what world you're living in. But that is not our culture, and that is not our world. That's not how people operate. You need to know something. It's not the culture that Paul operated in either. I think we think that because we're so technologically advanced, and you know, it's many centuries after Paul lived, that somehow the world we live in is way, way different than the world Paul lived in. But when it comes to this idea of contentment, when it comes to this idea of being able to, to hoard up and to accumulate a lot of things, it's, it's really not that different of a world. When Paul writes this letter, this young pastor, Timothy, has taken over the responsibility of a church that Paul started. Paul started this church in Ephesus. 
He spent uh, about three years there gathering up people and trying to train them up and, and watch over them, and he eventually turns it over to Timothy. And now Timothy pastors the church at Ephesus. Let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman world. It dominated trade along the Aegean coast. Ephesus was a, a trade hub for, for merchants. They would bring stuff down to the harbor, to the port. They would put it on ships and it would be shipped all out to, to the rest of the Roman world. There were all kinds of boats that were coming into the ports to offload stuff at Ephesus that would find their ways inland to all the different markets that existed. In today's terms, Ephesus would closely resemble New York City or Hong Kong. You find Ephesus, it's located along the Aegean coastline in western Turkey. You see a triple archway there. That triple archway would lead into the Agora. That Agora was the marketplace. That's two football fields side by side, 100 yards by 100 yards. There's a courtyard, there, are, there were um, shops around the outside where you could go in and shop for various and sundry things, but there were also kiosks on the inside, and if you lived in Ephesus and you wanted to go to the market, that's where you went, and anything you wanted to buy was there. Welcome to shopping in Ephesus. You could get just about anything you wanted. You could get jewelry from Egypt. You could get the latest fashions from Rome. You could get spices from the Far East. If you had the money, you could buy garments of purple and things that were dyed with purple, which was a, a really expensive thing to, to have. And that came from Thyatira. When you went shopping in Ephesus, anything was available for purchase. That was their culture, and that is the city that... that that uh, Timothy is pastoring at the time when Paul writes. And Paul says to him, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And you're hearing this and you're thinking, Brett, you're talking about contentment, I hate my job. Are you telling me that it's ungodly of me to, to, that I shouldn't look for something else? Brett, we've outgrown our house you know, it was small before, but now we've added, you know, kids, and it's just really small. Are you telling us that it's not spiritual to, to look for a bigger house? Are you saying we shouldn't move? Our car's getting old on days like today. I'm afraid to go out and get in it. I, I wouldn't even dream about taking it out of the city of Terre Haute. I don't trust it that far. We've been kind of saving for a new one. Are you saying that we should just be content with our old beat-up car because, that's you know, we should be content? Let's talk about contentment. And let's try to come to some understanding about what contentment is and what contentment isn't. I want to give you a working definition. Contentment is the cultivation of a satisfied heart. The cultivation of a satisfied heart. Jeff Mannion wrote a book called Satisfied. In it, he said, contentment is the discipline of being fully alive to God and to others, whatever our material circumstances. It is not achieved through getting everything we want, but training the heart to experience full joy and deep peace even when we don't have what we want. So I've got two little squares here, or circles here. This represents where you are, but this represents where you would like to be. I think what happens for a lot of us is 
we, we aren't really sure how all this works, but we, we, you know, is it possible that you could have peace and contentment here before you go here? Or is it possible that when you go from here to there, what you find is you're not really content? Am I fully alive to God here in this space? Am I content with what I have? Am I enough? Is it enough? Are the things that I, I work toward and what I'm after and what I want, is it enough? Or do I think in my mind that I have to get there and that when I get there, everything will be okay when I get here? And, and that's a problem. Does it require a switch from here to there to make me content? See, I can't experience peace and joy and being fully alive to God here if I can't do that here. Let's look at one of the most significant things that Paul ever wrote on contentment in your Bible. It comes in Philippians chapter 4. Paul is not writing to Timothy here. He's writing to the Jesus followers in the church at Philippi in northern Greece. And he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned, and if I was reading along and had a pen in my hand and I came across that word learned, that's a word I would circle. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. In other words, whether I'm here with not a lot or whether I'm over here and I got all kinds, I've learned to be content in either of these two places. I, I don't have to get here to be content. I can be here and be just as content. The, the switch, the move, doesn't elevate any of that for me the thing you need to know about Paul is he did not want to be here because when he wrote this letter to the Philippians he is in jail and nobody and I mean nobody walks up to the I talk about the grand coke machine of life what I mean by that is options nobody walks up to the great coke machine of life and select puts their money in and selects for their life experience prison so this is where Paul is and, he, and he's saying, look, I've learned to be content. I've trained my heart to be fully alive to God and fully alive to people, even though my current circumstance is I'm in jail. Some of you love your jobs, and you, were, you are doing what God created you to do. You would say, I'm good at it. God made me good at it. Others of you would say, would use the two words, for now. I'm here for now. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be here, but I'm here for now. I'm looking for something else, but this is what I'm doing at the time. Here's the challenge. If you're just here for now, here's the challenge. Be fully alive to God and to people with a good attitude here. Don't think when I get here, then I'll start treating people differently. Then I'll be more respectful. Then I'll have a better attitude. Then I'll be more fully alive to God and more fully alive to people. Here's what I can, here's my experience. If that, if you're not 
If you're not respectful and fully alive to God and to other people here, no matter how much money you have, no matter what your job is or anything else, that doesn't improve here. You've got to work on that where you are. And there's a lot of people who think, if I can make the move, then somehow it improves me. No. It doesn't improve you. So you can go out and you can apply for new jobs. If you're in a job you don't like, absolutely. Network, apply, look for new jobs, do whatever you think you have to do to improve your station and improve your situation. But while you're doing all that, make sure you are cultivating a heart that is content and satisfied and fully alive to God and fully alive to people and that you're not somebody that's just a pain to be around because you're just not happy. And you're going to make sure nobody else is either. I got three words for you, here and now. Here and now. Contentment, here and now. Your house was small when you and your wife moved into it, had a baby. Three kids later, there is just no way. You would desire a little more elbow room. Don't get sucked into thinking that when you get that house, somehow everything gets better and you're not going to want anything anymore. Because that's just not going to happen. Contentment here and now, fully alive to God, fully alive to other people, here and now. Duo Dickinson wrote a book on, um, it's called uh, Staying Put, and it's about uh, renovating a house. You know, we all, we all turn on HGTV and we watch them do magnificent things with backsplashes and mosaics, right? We see them plant some trees and bushes and, you know, set up this great outside space, and we're like, well, I want one of those. I can, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And so Duo Dickinson is a guy that can do that kind of stuff. He wrote a book about it called Staying Put, but he gives this caution in the book. If you don't like yourself, your house will not make you like yourself better. If your family is dysfunctional, a new home will not pull it together. Any renovation you attempt as a psychological balm is destined to fail. Here and now. If you don't like you now, don't think that you're going to like yourself when you get new, new appliances and granite countertops. And if your spouse and you are experiencing major trouble now, don't think that when you move into a new house that that's going to fix it. It won't fix it. The more contentment you can experience here, the more fully alive to God and to other people you can cultivate here, the more attitude adjustment and better attitude you can have here, the better off you are going to be when God finally says, you want that? I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to let you have that. You go right ahead, move into that new house. But don't think that in the process of moving, that if you haven't done the work here to get your heart, mind, and soul right, that coming over here, somehow magically things get different. They don't. A lot of times they get worse because the pressure mounts and the tensions go up. It's January. We've been reminded of that in the last 24 hours, haven't we? And here you are stuck in Terre Haute, Indiana, but you don't want to be here. You want to be there. Right? Amen. Amen. That's where you want to be. That's where hope is, right? 
sitting on something like that, watching the waves come rolling in one after another with a nice cool drink in your hand going, woo! But no, I got to find contentment here because this is where I am. All my friends, they go off, they go there. And I'm still stuck back here. I want to go there. You know what happens a lot of times? People go there. They experience that. They come back, they pull out their computer, their laptop, and they write a review on TripAdvisor.com, critiquing their experience. Exhibit A. This actually comes from TripAdvisor.com, about a place that probably looked an awful lot like that right there. Listen to this. The resort had some nice features and amenities, but overall it is trying to be all things to all people and ultimately doesn't hit the ball out of the park in any one area. Beach and weather. The beach was pretty, but the weather was very uneven and the tide was rough and choppy the entire time we were there. It was rainy at almost any time of the day, and we had to plan our days around that. Lodging. It was frustrating that the nice modern rooms are almost a mile walk back in the resort. We stayed in the beach section, and the rooms were basic and dated, but no major complaints here. <laughs> Service was generally good overall, but large crowds and kids everywhere gave the place a raucous feel. At the buffets, the servers were nice, but they were overwhelmed. We would often bring bottled water with us so we didn't have to wait in line to get a drink. Another huge bummer was the fact that we waited 20 minutes in line for towels because they ran out. We ultimately had to walk to the spa for towels. That should only happen if the resort is disorganized or unprepared for the most routine aspect of good service. Welcome to paradise. One of the problems and the biggest disappointments that we have is that we have to take ourselves on vacation. Sometimes vacations can be miserable. You know, you've you got to load everything up and it gets you in a cranky mood and you take a wrong turn or, you know, one of the kids gets sick or you forget something important or... You know, any number of things can go on, and there's this nit, 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 back and forth. You can have that kind of vacation. Other times you can go on vacation, and it's wonderful, and nothing bad goes wrong, and you end up at a place like that, and you and your wife have this wonderful time, and you come back with no complaints and wonderful memories. But generally, vacation is a blend of those two things, right? Even, even the best of couples can go to a place like that, and at, you know, in a moment or two, they can have that nit, nit, nit kind of thing going on so it's not just you know it's a blending of them it's not just one way or the other the one who is able to say I'm gonna be fully alive to God and to people and I'm gonna be content in any and all circumstances they are the ones who get this thing figured out that's the person who has trained their heart that would be able to say with Paul I have learned to be content to be able to cope with imperfect people and imperfect situations. The better you have trained your heart to be content and to cope with imperfect people and imperfect situations here, the better prepared you are to deal with those things when you get 
there. But trust me, if you don't figure it out here, you will never figure it out there, and you're just wasting your money when you go on that trip. Motivation one, sobering reality. We bring nothing into the world. We take nothing out. So uh, motivation number two, a bold claim. Food and clothing is all we need. Motivation three is a needed warning. Paul is going to get really serious about the situation of contentment, and he's going to say, Timothy, when there are people who refuse to cultivate a contented heart, the damage is going to be all over the place. And as we look at some of our habits, some of us would look at our lives today and say, that's me, that's me, I'm not content. Some of us will hear this and say, you know what, that, that, that's, that used to be me, that's not me anymore. And some of us would say, God, may that never be me. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, those who want to get rich, this is Timothy, this is Paul writing to Timothy again, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and, and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now the first thing he uses there is he uses the, he, he talks about the phrase being plunged. That we can get plunged into things. But the second illustration he uses is that of a trap. And he says, you can go after things and think that it's going to make you happy only to find out you got trapped. And I have used these, not this big. God forbid I have anything that big in my house. But, but I've used these, smaller and I've had to dispose of, you know, the aftermath of what happens when that happens. And as I have carried that out to the field, you know, to, to open it up and to let the little guy out and let him go back to the earth, I have wondered from time to time and thought to myself, you know, that poor little guy, he crawled up on there thinking he really was into something. He's going to have him a good little something to eat. And the next thing he knew, if he could even think at all, was, uh-oh, uh-oh. Here, I, I thought I was going after something that was going to make me happy. I thought I was going after something that was going to fill me and, and was everything that I wanted. And I didn't realize I was going after bait. I got baited. They set me up. It snaps, and you think to yourself, I should not have gone for that bait. Paul says there are some people who are massing stuff, and really all it amounts to is they, when they get done, they're just trapped. To this day, we still use the expression, I'm drowning in debt, right? You ever heard somebody say that? I'm drowning in debt. He uses one more image in the next verse. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul, as you were in Ephesus and you watched people come and go in the Agora, what did you see? He said, well, I, I watched people pursue things. I watched them spend all their money thinking that spending their money and getting that or this or that would make them feel better, would make them feel whole. 
would make them feel contented and they just kept pursuing things and they kept chasing after things and really at the end of the day what I saw is I saw people who'd been wounded who were bleeding or who were drowning they were trapped they were bleeding or they were drowning I don't know what Paul saw but I can tell you what I see People come and talk to me and we sit down and we talk about life and we talk about what's going on and, you know, there's an issue, there's some conflict, how can we fix it? I say, well, what's the problem? And she says, he never stops working. He never stops working. He works all the time, he comes home and he works some more and he never stops. And he's trying to do this thing and, he's, and, and then he looks at me with these eyes and he says, I'm doing it for my family. And she says, you're never with your family. He just kind of throws his hands up because he doesn't know what else to say. Because he's here and he thinks if he can get there that it'll all be better. But here's the thing. Once he gets here, there's another there. <laughs> and then there's another there. And there's another there. And there's, it's, for a guy like that, it's never enough. They never get filled up. It never satisfies. And they leave me. After I've prayed over them and hugged them and I'm waving goodbye and I think to myself, I wonder if they're going to make it. Brett, what did you see? I saw somebody drowning, trapped, bleeding. I see people fighting and scratching and clawing for, with the world for what they would call the good life. And if you ask them, what do you have? And they'd say, I don't know, but it's whatever this is, this is not good. And it's not just people where things go south, where finances aren't good. It also happens when things are going great, when everything's up and to the right. The numbers are, are good, numbers are improving, business is good, it's thriving. Hey, didn't they used to go to Cross Lane? That, yeah, they used to go to Cross Lane. Well, where do they go now? They don't go anywhere now. Too many shiny things. And it captivated their heart, and there were just too many other interests, and they just don't go anymore. There's that spooky phrase that Paul uses when he says, Timothy, some have just wandered from the faith. Paul's telling Timothy, see it for what it is. Contentment is freedom. Contentment is freedom. Contentment is knowing getting there isn't going to make this any better. I better get fully alive to God and I better get fully alive to other people and I better get fully alive to me right here. Because if God is good enough to give you this or if he sees fit to put you all the way over here to the next station and you haven't figured this out, it doesn't get any better. I'll just skip to the end and give you the last verse of Scripture. It's Philippians 4.13, and you, you've heard this, you might be able to quote this. A lot of athletes have quoted this. I would just tell you that when athletes quote this, they're quoting this out of context. The proper context for this passage of Scripture right here is exactly what Paul's talking about. It's about contentment. When he says, I have learned 
to be content in all things. That's what this verse is talking about. I can be content in all things through him who gives me strength. In other words, without God, I'm probably never going to be content. But in God, I am content. It happens as he gives me strength. So if you find yourself today yearning for there, but you're really not happy here, and it's really, it's, it's, it's beyond just the physical stuff. There's an internal thing. And you know what I'm talking about right now. Getting there won't make that any better. I just would close by saying this. When you get alone and you start thinking about this, I want you to know Jesus is with you. When you start thinking about writing the checks for your bills, I want you to know Jesus is with you. And When you take off on your trip and you end up in that beautiful blue place and the waves are coming in, I want you to know Jesus is with you. Here's the thing I don't want you leaving thinking. I don't, I didn't, I'm not talking about, I'm trying, not trying to make anybody feel bad. I don't want anybody feeling guilty. It's nothing like that. If you've got lots of stuff, good for you. And if you don't have very much and you want more, man, I want you to have more. But if you're not content having a little or having a lot, it doesn't make any difference at all if you're not fixed. Get fixed. And only Jesus can help you with that. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Boy, do we need you in this. We, our culture screams, our culture convinces us that what we've got's not good enough so they can sell us another one. And then we go buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. So Father, we just plead for your help. We know that you are there to help us. Would we hear your voice this week? And as, and as we start to purge, as we start to give things away, as we start to cleanse, would you speak to us and tend to our soul in it? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.